Chapter 2, The Virgin Mary and Hope for Your Not-So-Holy Struggles. This chapter is based on Luke chapter 1, verse 26, through chapter 2, verse 51. So, chapter 2. We've been together for a few pages. It's time for me to make things really awkward. Let's talk about sex and religion. I promise, no matter what you have going on in your sex life, there really is hope for you in the story of Mary. Seriously, I'm not kidding. If you grew up in church culture, you're probably geeking right now about how inappropriate it is for me to talk about the Virgin Mary alongside our modern sex struggles in our sex-crazed culture. If you're geeking, I imagine it's because most of American church culture has tried to control sexual behaviors through fear. Fear leads to shame, and I believe shame has led us to the mess we are currently in. How have we gotten to the place where a gay teenager's biggest fear is the rejection he will face from church culture? How have we gotten to a place where some churches rally around an abusive pastor while his victims are pushed aside? How have we gotten to the place where Christians still support institutions which repeatedly cover up sexual abuse? I'm no expert, but I know we didn't get here by doing a great job loving people the way Jesus did. One time, I did a talk about shame and sexuality for a women's ministry. In my talk, I ranted about victims of child molestation being shamed more than the perpetrators. Afterwards, several people told me they had been molested and were always afraid of people finding out their secret because of how they would be judged. I was shocked by the response. There were less than 100 people there, and my speech was mostly a venting rant, but it resonated with people. This is absolutely crazy. It makes me literally want to vomit to think about how many people are living with this kind of shame for decades. It's even more horrendously sickening when the shame is coming from the people who claim to be following Jesus and should be sharing hope for survivors of abuse. Let me just tell you right now, struggles with sexual issues can be more damaging than many other struggles because they are so close, personal, and private. Sex gives us powerful ties to people, and when those people are evil and abusive, it can warp our sense of who we are. But listen closely, what these struggles don't do is lessen how much God loves and accepts us. God desires the best for you. In his perfect plan, I believe that sex was supposed to help us bond with our spouses because relationships are tough and he wanted to give us something super awesome and fun to emotionally link us together. But we mess up his ideal all the time. I believe it grieves his heart because he wants better for us. I believe it hurts our ability to know him because shame competes with his voice of hope for us. But guess what? He loves us anyway. So crazy as I am, I'm sharing all of this because the second story in the book of Luke is the story of the Virgin Mary. Now, if you are like any other sane, rational person, then right now you are thinking something along the lines of, what the heck does the story of the Virgin Mary have to do with shame and struggle surrounding sex? Well, there are two glaring points from the story of Mary, which will fill you with peace and hope when you begin to grasp them. First, 
The hyper-focus on Mary's virginity is quite insulting to the incredibly strong woman she was. Her story was meant to be a story to inspire us all. Her story is the story of a young peasant who stood strong through many trials because of the extreme gritty hope she had. The second point we should get from the story of Mary is that the God who created this entire universe did not use his power or the importance of his plan to redeem humanity as an excuse to use anyone. As you will see when we look at her story, God sent messengers to ask Mary to be part of his plan, and he uplifted her. He didn't use her. He honored her. How can American churches claim to represent him while using people? I do not believe for one second that the sexual abuse and the way it has been mishandled in church culture by the previous two generations is remotely representative of what the Bible teaches us about following God. No religious figure or institution is more important than the dignity of a human being. Mary's story is amazing, powerful, inspiring, and real. It needs to be heard. The sanitized version of the perfect, pale, timid woman walking around in a bubble of holiness that many churches tell presents little hope for us in our modern world. She is held up as the ideal none of us can ever attain to. This ideal led to a whole tradition of bad teaching about sex and purity. The ideal has been used to shame people into submitting to a controlling church culture, which is sickeningly tragic. The worship of Mary's purity forgets about the prostitutes and not sexually pure survivors in Jesus's family heritage. Worst of all, the sanitized version misses the point of Mary's story. The virgin birth was never meant to be the emphasis of the birth story of Jesus. It's just one sign that Jesus was the Messiah, but certainly not the most powerful one. Because let's be real, there's no way to prove it. Thankfully, Jesus fulfilled about 300 other prophecies. Also, just to be clear, and more awkward... Ancient religions were filled with stories of gods lusting after women, having sex with them, and tossing them to the side. Luke was writing to an ancient Roman audience. His readers grew up believing in Zeus. Remember him, the super lusty god who created half the problems in the universe by sleeping with humans and angering his goddess wife Hera? The Roman emperors claimed to be sons of gods who had sex with whoever they wanted, So, as uncomfortable as it is for Christians to talk about, God having a son with a woman would not have been shocking to Luke's original audience. What would have been absolutely 100% mind-blowingly, core-rockingly shocking to Luke's ancient Roman audience was the way that God had a son through Mary. First, Mary was a peasant woman. Women had few rights in that day. Women in poverty were disposable playthings for men in power, especially the Roman men Luke was writing to. In striking contrast to the way they used women, God sent a messenger to Mary to get her permission. Just mull that over in your mind for a little while. I don't think we can ever fully wrap our limited minds around this detail of the story. Many ancient Romans probably responded to Luke's story by laughing at the idea of a god so highly honoring a peasant woman. 
We see how much God honored Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 28, when the angel greeted Mary and called her highly honored. The angel revealed God's plan to bring his son into the world through her. Mary was understandably scared, so the angel reassured her as he explained God's plan. Mary agreed to the plan, and even though she was scared, she said in Luke 1, verse 38, May all of this be fulfilled demonstrating that she wanted to be part of this plan. And then there's the act of conception. I think Luke knew this would bother his ancient audience as much as it bothers us today. As awkward as it must have been, the gospel writers questioned Mary about how it happened. In Luke's description, he used a Greek word, episkiazo. This word meant to surround with brilliant light. Many Bible translations use the word overshadow because the idea is hard to translate. The idea was that something was creating such bright light that it caused everything around it to seem shadowy. It's the word New Testament writers frequently use to describe God's presence. It referred to an uplifting, holy, empowering, beautiful experience which edified the person. It was not in any way a creepy instance of God using people the way humans use each other. God elevates people who choose to follow him. He elevated Mary. She was not an object to be used by a petty God. She was a young woman who was being empowered to be a fierce survivor in a harsh world. I need to camp out with this part of the story for another minute. As I write, I feel like I can sense little old judgmental ladies cringing. But I have to write this. This isn't the closed world my parents grew up in. You and I can't maintain the delusion that church people used to present. We have seen how cruel and awful this world can be, especially when it comes to sex. As I've already mentioned, we all know tons of stories of religious people sexually abusing those they have power over. It's sadly common. No good person should want to have anything to do with a God who even hints at promoting such things. So, sorry, not sorry, if this offends your religious sensibilities, because my religious sensibilities are offended by people covering up abuse and shaming people over sex issues. I absolutely believe that Luke gave us these details about the story of Mary to provide a startling contrast to the gods and the culture of the ancient Roman and modern American world. The creator of the universe had a plan to save all of humanity, and he did not find it more important than the dignity of a peasant woman. He did not use her for his pleasure. He empowered her to be part of his plan. Therefore, If anyone covers up abuse because they think their mission, agenda, or institution is more important than an individual, they are not representing the God of the New Testament. God's extreme value of people is the point of the virgin birth. Consider all the ways God valued and empowered Mary. Mary needed to be empowered because her path was not an easy one. She had unbelievable struggles, gut-wrenching fears, doubts, and eventually, Luke tells us, she had a sword pierce her own soul. But when it was all over and she was asked to tell her story, she was able to look back on everything she had been through and say in Luke 1 verse 46, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my heart rejoices in God my Savior. 
Our struggles and traumas are obviously very different from Mary's. And if you're like me, your mind is screaming at you about how much more your struggles are caused by your own bad decisions and not the more honorable trials of a hard path. I get that. I wrestle with that a lot too. My mind instantly rejects finding inspiration from Mary because I'm far from living the kind of life that causes people to put up statues of me and worship my purity. But God doesn't make that distinction. That's a distinction from which Jesus came to free us. It's a judgment religious people make, but not God. He loves all of us, virgins and those of us whose sex lives could inspire an MTV series with 10 seasons worth of escapades. When we choose to follow him, he enables us to be bold in our struggles, even when those struggles are X-rated in their origins. God will help us when we turn those struggles over to him. He wants to empower us to follow him even when we are the cause of our struggles. He wants to give us power to stand strong when life is beating us down. He will give us hope in the worst situations and give us purpose even when things don't change. We just have to learn to hear his voice and understand his incredible acceptance of us. I pray you see this as you consider how hard and powerful Mary's story really was. First, let's just take a minute to consider the extreme emphasis on virginity in the culture in which Mary lived. Ancient Jewish people took virginity so seriously that a woman who was found not to be a virgin on her marriage night could be stoned to death. During Mary's lifetime, Israel was under Roman rule, so they were not allowed to execute women for such offenses. But the judgment was still there. Consider that Mary was pregnant and unmarried in this society. It's challenging for women even today. It was devastating in Mary's day. Unfortunately, she didn't get to walk around with a halo shining on her declaring that she was following God. She was judged and shunned just like any other woman in her society would have been. Except that God graciously sent an angel to convince Joseph that it was okay to marry her. And that was just the beginning of the struggles this amazing survivor faced. Most of us know Luke's story in chapter 2, 1 through 7, where Mary and Joseph traveled to Bethlehem before Jesus was born and struggled to find a place to stay. Every Christmas nativity set shows how Mary ended up giving birth to Jesus, the Son of God, in a stable. It is one of the most beautiful pictures of God's heart for humanity. He chose to come to be one of us and enter the world as a helpless baby in a place where animals ate and did their business. It wasn't the stuff moms dream of when they plan their baby's birth stories. It was dirty, hard, lonely, and amazing. In verses 8 through 20, the story gets even crazier and more awesome. Most of us know about the shepherds showing up soon after the birth of Jesus. It's depicted in most every nativity scene. Cute little shepherd boys with adorable little lambs to add to the quaint picturesque scene of Jesus' birth. Only, shepherds were dirty, stinky outcasts. They did one of the worst jobs in their society. They slept outdoors and hung out with a bunch of other outcasts. People generally viewed them as dangerous or at least suspicious. They were about as far as you could get from being accepted by the religious leaders of their day. It's a glaring statement of how God feels about religion. The religious scholars were pouring over scripture, memorizing prophecies about the coming Messiah. 
And God sent angels to the religious outcast and told them where to find Jesus. This is one of the most crazy, awesome things in the world to imagine. Can you picture Mary camping out in a stable just after giving birth to Jesus? Then a bunch of thugs showed up to worship Jesus. It must have been mind-blowing for her. This isn't how kings are supposed to be born, and those certainly weren't the people you'd expect to be his messengers. And the shepherds certainly weren't going to help her reputation. (laughs) I love picturing the next part of the story. The shepherds went around telling people about Jesus, glorifying and praising God. And considering their status, I imagine it being like a gang running around the streets, telling people about this little baby being born and how God was doing something new and amazing. I tend to picture a homeless person with a shopping cart, chasing down a snooty lady, cornering her, scaring her out of her mind, then telling her about Jesus with a handful of swears in there. That's not exactly how it went, but pretty close. The story then takes a leap forward a few weeks. In verse 22, Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple for a purification ritual and dedication. While they were there, a priest named Simeon came up to them and took baby Jesus in his arms and praised God. Simeon had faithfully served God his whole life and was filled with joy just in seeing Jesus and knowing God was going to do a great work through him. Simeon spoke highly of Jesus and then spoke to Mary. In verses 34 and 35, Simeon said, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Let's think about what Simeon said from Mary's perspective. Think about all the things a new mom feels when she holds her infant in her arms. As you look at a precious child so unable to care for themselves, somehow everything in you wants to protect them. I still feel that way about my kids, even though they are grown. The mama bear side of me will still go off on anyone who tries to hurt them in any way. To me, nothing in the world is worse than imagining my kids suffering. Now, imagine mama bear Mary standing with her infant in her arms. Simeon looks at her and basically says, This child is going to cause powerful people to fall and lowly people to rise. People are going to speak out against him and it will show where their hearts are. And as he goes through all of this, you are going to experience such devastation that it will feel like a sword has pierced your soul. If Mary didn't have miraculous peace at this moment, I don't believe she would have continued. At this point, I feel like I'd be saying, um, excuse me, Simeon, that's not a very good blessing. This is the Messiah. How about you try that again? But God's message to his followers is never that our path will be easy. He tells us we will have meaning and he will be with us. The Americanized version of following God, which focuses so much on physical comfort and praise from people, would not have helped Mary much in the ordeals she would endure as she raised Jesus. For example, we know from Matthew's and other non-biblical scholars' accounts of the early life of Jesus that within a few years of his birth, King Herod tried to have him killed. Mary and Joseph had been warned and escaped to Egypt where they lived as refugees for several years until Herod died. 
After Herod's death, Joseph and Mary brought Jesus back to Israel, but were afraid to return to the region of Bethlehem because Herod's son had taken his place, and he also believed Jesus was a threat. That's a traumatic first few years of motherhood for Mary. In the last story of Luke chapter 2, Luke's annoyingly sparsely detailed ancient writing skips forward all the way to when Jesus was 12 years old. Here we read the story of Mary and Joseph taking Jesus to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. This was the most important religious festival for the Jews. Everyone went to Jerusalem to observe Passover. Because of the crowds, people traveled together with everyone from their town. As Mary and Joseph were returning home, they naturally assumed Jesus was with the crowd from their hometown. However, when they began to set up camp for the night, they began asking where Jesus was, and no one knew. We don't know how frantic Mary was at this point. Luke doesn't share this detail. All she had already seen had to have entered her mind. Herod had killed all the baby boys in a town because of Jesus. Surely she wrestled with some fear at this moment. Did she remember that prophecy? Was this the moment when a sword would pierce her soul? Mary and Joseph returned to Jerusalem and searched for Jesus. They didn't find him until the third day. When Mary and Joseph found Jesus, they were astonished to see him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers. Jesus was wowing these religious leaders with his insights. And this wasn't something Mary and Joseph could have trained Jesus for. In their strict culture of religious elitism, sitting among the teachers this way wasn't something any 12-year-old of their time should have been comfortable doing. Though Mary was amazed at what Jesus was teaching and surely intimidated by the powerful religious leaders, frustration seems to have been her strongest emotion as she interrupted their conversation to tell Jesus she and Joseph had been frantically searching for him. Jesus replied to her in Luke chapter 2, verses 49 through 50. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Jesus' response seems quite odd at first. At the time, Mary didn't understand what he was saying. But looking back, his reply is incredibly beautiful. I imagine God orchestrated this event for Mary. We don't know what happened to Joseph, but there are no reports of him being around when Jesus was crucified. Most likely, Joseph had died by then. As Mary went through the extreme trauma of seeing her son being unjustly accused, beaten, and then crucified, I wonder if Jesus' words echoed in her ears. I wonder if she remembered all God had already brought her through. I bet she still hoped something good was going to come from this. Even though her eyes and everything in her was telling her it was over, I bet she remembered all the times she had feared it being over before. I bet she remembered her frantic three-day search and wondered if Jesus was still somehow doing the work God sent him for. We don't know much more of Mary's story, But it's important to know she wasn't journaling about all of these events as she went along. What we know of her story is what she shared with writers who interviewed her after Jesus had been crucified and resurrected. Understanding all she had endured makes her reflections on her story more beautiful. In Luke chapter 1 verses 46 through 55, 
Luke records the reflections of this amazing survivor this way. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Read this reflection and think about all that Mary had been through. She had seen her son be wrongly accused, betrayed by those closest to him, beaten, and then crucified. She had lived a tough life and was a widow. Yet she started out her reflection with saying, My soul declares how great God is. She had an amazing peace with all that had happened to her. She had fully looked at the horror and evil of this world, but she also saw something more. I believe the resurrection and constant presence of God in her life gave her hope and peace as she reflected on a lifetime of experiencing how hard and cruel this world can be. Her hope is the same hope we are all called to no matter how hard our lives are or how many mistakes we've made. God values us, me and you. He values every aspect of our lives. He wants to empower us in this harsh world. He wants us to know him. He wants to give meaning to all of our struggles and hope for more. He cares about our value more than we can fathom. As you follow him, your life may still be very hard, but one day you will be able to reflect on all you have overcome with the same grateful, victorious attitude Mary had because you know Jesus and the power and purpose of his resurrection to show us how much God values us.